Good morning, everyone. How's everyone today? Good. Glad to hear it. Glad to have you here. Eager to, to lead you in Bible study here this morning. We're continuing our series called Our Time is in God's Hands on the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, this will be the second to last lesson. There's one more um, next Sunday on the 31st. Um, and then that'll, so we'll get halfway through what's left in the book. If you've paid forward, you see that we're um, winding down to a close. So I don't know if that's happy or sad for you, but um, it's the facts of where we are right now. So today's lesson is entitled, Is It Ever Time to Play Politics? Uh, we'll look essentially at chapter 8 and chapter 9. So let's jump in. Look and see. The king is in control. Because I've got the mic, I'll read verses 2 through 6. That'll be our first section. Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, What are you doing? Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure, for there is a proper time and procedure for every manner, though a person may be weighed down by misery. All right. So I suppose the first question we have to ask is, who is the king? If we're recognizing how the king is in control would do well to figure out who the king is. John. Speaking in general, like whoever's king over I'm asking the questions here. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was the answer in the form of That was the answer? This isn't Jeopardy. You just, just give me an answer. <laughs> so... You're saying he's speaking in general terms to mean, and then I thought I'd be funny and I cut you off. So, to mean all authority? Is that how you finish that, John? Okay. All right. Okay. Solomon certainly has this kingly experience or um, um, expertise, right? If you remember the whole, um, the, one of the things we first looked at was that Solomon's writing this book introspectively, looking back on his life, so speaking as a king would make sense for someone who wore the crown for uh, several decades. Okay, Gail? Okay. Sure. Anyone who's got rule or power or authority. Um, obviously, if you live in a um, country like ours, you'd have to translate this to be something different, right? We're, we don't have a king, but we have a president, and we have governors and mayors and um, other authorities. So um, maybe the, the broader authority um, concept, too. Please. 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 
Okay. Sure. So the, those those governing documents are are um, the assurances or the promises that are made to us. Uh, but when those documents put a person in that position and that office, then that person ends up, by nature of that setup, having that authority. So. Okay, sure. We'd say the, the duly elected, yeah, I, I can't just declare myself to be president. Um, but when, when the Constitution is followed and, and someone be, gets elected to be a governor or uh, a mayor or whatever, then now they are the ones that have that authority, right? So there is one other suggestion or possibility here. Um, and that is that perhaps the king here is actually talking directly about God. Um, that God is the one who, who it holds the ultimate authority. Um, in Hebrew, which would have been the original language that Ecclesiastes was written in, there's no um, difference between uppercase and lowercase letters. So um, whether this is the king or a king uh, is a difficult thing to, to figure out just based on uh, looking at the text, you have to look at context, and then it could intent, could be a an interpretation. Um, I think we kind of end up in a similar place, regardless. So, whether we're talking about the ultimate authority of God or the um, authorities that God has placed over us in our lives, um, I think we end up in the same place. Dave, please. for him. Yeah. So some people have looked at that and said, um, maybe this is leaning, pushes us towards uh, a more earthly authority. Um, but we could obey, we could obey the king because we've taken an oath before God, even if God and king are the same. Right. So, but yeah, people have looked at that verse and, and ha it's fallen both ways, but that's a good point. Um, perhaps you could argue that's an awkward way to talk about, um, having an oath that's taken Okay. Have you taken an oath to the king? I'll let you answer either way you want the king to be. Okay. Sure. So if this is if the king is our ultimate authority, if this is God, we've we've made our promises and our oaths, confirmation being, being a, a memorable or notable one. Okay. That'd be part of your cover, huh? <laughs> okay. Yeah, the government asks us to take, and we rightly can in good conscience take oaths um, often. Well, and going off of like the oath for confirmation, 
Okay. There you go. And we're getting into that where really these end up, these roads end up merging back together regardless of, of if you take a fork here. Please. The Pledge of Allegiance is a great example of an oath or a promise that we make to um, pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Yeah, that's, that's very much so a pledge that we are, are making to, um, to be good citizens and, and to live law-abiding lives under uh, the laws and under the governing that our, um, that our country has established. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Explain how obedience to the king of kings includes obedience to an earthly ruler. Trisha kind of got us started on that discussion. Okay. Got. We have laws, and the laws are based around God's word. Okay. So, yeah, God tells us that He gives us government as a blessing to us. Um, and so, there, there's good reason we talk in the fourth commandment about um, honor your father and mother is broader than just your parents, but it's all the authorities that God has put in our lives um, and asked us to, to respect and obey. Let's look at a couple of passages. Um, Romans 13 verses 1 through 7. Let's go ahead and look that up. Maybe put a bookmark here in Ecclesiastes. Romans 13 verses 1 through 7. One of the key passages um, about government. I always find an interesting lesson in the context of, of world events as these words are being written by the Apostle Paul as well. We'll talk about that after we read. So follow along, verses 1 through 7. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason they are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. All right. What jumped off the page that might add to this discussion as we read 
Romans 13. Okay, right. That, that becomes a challenge, but God doesn't say submit yourselves to godly authorities. Submit yourselves to the authorities that are ruling in a manner that's fair. Submit, your, um, submit yourself to authorities that are consistent with governing documents. It says submit yourselves to the governing authorities, right? And then it goes on to double down and say all authority um, that exists has been given by me. Um, so that means that even the cruel dictator, even the unfair government, even, um, even, even the governments that allow ungodly things to happen are those that have been put in place by God, and those individuals are individuals that have been put in place uh, by God. Um, and therefore, we respect them. Now, what's the, what's the exception to that? What's the time that our, the principle... Uh, for us leans away from respect for authority. There becomes a time when a more important principle comes into play. Okay, very good. We have to obey God rather than men. Which means, and let's, talk, let's, let's clarify what that actually means. That means when the government is going to require me to behave in a way that is in contradiction with God's word, then I must be consistent with God's word and reject that, um, that command that God give or that command that that government has given me. Um, I still don't have the right to armed conflict. I still don't have the right to rebellion. I just must obey God in that instance rather than man. What happens if my government allows sinful behavior? What if we want to use a topic like uh, we have a government that allows abortion? We know from the Bible that abortion is sinful and it's murder. We have a government that allows that to happen. How does that impact our station in life under our government? Trish. Okay, so you're getting at the teaser that I dropped before I started reading, the context. Do you know who was the king when Paul wrote these words in Romans 13? He didn't go by that title, he went by Caesar. Do you know which one? It was Nero, very good. Emperor Nero was the, was the Caesar, he was the king. He was the one that had the ultimate authority in the place where Paul was writing this letter. He burned the city of Rome and, and blamed Christians. He gave heavy persecution. He killed people just for having Christian faith. And Paul says, every authority on earth has been instituted by God. Submit yourselves to the governing authorities. If the biblical doctrine, if God's will was that we submit ourselves only to authorities that are fair or godly, or make a Christian's life easy, then Paul would not have written these words at this time. Not a chance. If God wanted to tell us that anyone who usurps their God's authority and governs in a way that is ungodly, 
you don't have to follow them, then Paul wouldn't have written Romans 13 at this time or ever. But that's not what God intends for us to know. That's not the way that God intends for us to live our lives as citizens in whatever kingdom it is that God has, has placed us in. God tells us that government is his authority. It's, his servant, even, is the word that the Apostle Paul uses. Uh, for your good. That means that God puts governments in place and then calls upon them to serve for the benefit of those who are in that society. Does every governing official, does every government as a whole satisfy that um, requirement that God gives them? Absolutely not. Um, Of course, we would look at um, governments like the Roman Empire or uh, like uh, communist countries today or uh, dictatorships throughout history and see epic failures of leadership Um, but just because you have a bad leader or or one that has failed to carry out his responsibilities, that's not a loophole to disrespect, disobey, or rebel against. We recognize that God has put these authorities in our lives for our good. We recognize that they are the ones that are wearing, um, it's like God's wearing a mask. The same thing, we could have the same argument about parents, right? Um, what happens when parents aren't, aren't serving their children in the way that God calls on them to serve? Does that give, is that a, a, a kid loophole that now those children don't have to respect or honor or, or obey their parents? Of course not. They still would, must obey God rather than men. If, if dad is going to demand that you go rob this bank while I wait in the car, well then that stinks for that child, but they're going to have to say, I must obey God rather than man. Um, and they might have to endure the consequences of that. But that would be the same as government. If the government is going to require, um, then we must obey God rather than men. But just because a person is a failure as a parent, just because they um, are flawed or, or maybe even are heavy-handed and unfair, um, there still is a requirement for children to obey. John. Yeah, I think so. Um, he talks about the sword later. The government doesn't bear the sword for nothing. That would be two things. One, in general, just the ability to punish that the government holds. And I think even specifically, capital punishment. Um, decapitation was one of the main uh, tools that the government would use to take a, a criminal's life. Um, so the government holding a sword was a pretty vivid picture uh, for those, for those uh, people government doesn't hold the sword for nothing. He holds the sword for the good of society, right? Capital punishment isn't just a random thing because um, we feel like we should trim the population. No, it's the deterrent to keep people in line and to cause them to to obey. Um, And so the government doesn't hold the terror or the sword for nothing, but rather it does as a curb to keep citizens well-behaved, to keep them law-abiding because that is a society in which everyone else is more safe. So yes, John, this is talking about 
do I, should I obey the government or not? Um, well, the government shouldn't be a terror for me if I obey the government. But if I disobey the government, um, then it should be. I, I shouldn't be afraid of the police if I'm, if I'm obeying the laws. Uh, but if I'm tearing down the street and, and breaking more than just traffic laws, but other laws in the land, then uh, I should be pretty afraid if the police catch up to me because I'm probably going to jail. Um, the same, same concept. If I'm a law-abiding citizen, I don't need to be afraid of those that are going to enforce the laws. But if I am a, a, a belligerent lawbreaker, then now the government and the authorities and the police, they all have a different, um, a different uh, role, a different place in, uh, in my mind. Okay? We're getting to that. That's a pretty good uh, segue into the next question. In what way are verses 5 and 6 incredibly practical advice for when interacting with authority? Oops, got to go back to Ecclesiastes. Chapter 8. And this is what we were just talking about. This, this proper relationship between government and citizen is established in a way that's supposed to be a mutual blessing and benefit. Um, if you stop having respect for authority or, or feel like I'm justified in disobeying authority now because this person was unfair because I don't like that law or because this doesn't make sense to me or because those taxes are unfair... Um, now I'm putting myself in a realm of being a lawbreaker, um, and now that's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. All of those things are going to come true. Um, I'm going to get fines or, or worse, and, and then that government is going to have to take on a different role. Um, that won't. It'll, it'll still be for my good. Paying a penalty for breaking a law is still for my good. It's just the law application. Uh, it's like discipline for a child. They don't like it. Uh, but it's good for them. It's going to make them a better person in the end. Um, sometimes the government might have to discipline to prevent people from just, to prevent the culture from turning into chaos. Please. Yeah, very well said. You can use those proper channels to invoke change. Um, and I think that's worth saying. Respecting government doesn't mean agreeing with everything that I'm told or, or actively campaigning for things that I disagree with. Um, I, I certainly still can disagree, and I still have freedom of speech. Um, I don't have the freedom to speak disrespectfully or dishonorably or, or hurtfully or hatefully, um, 
But I do have these channels. I can vote with my feet. Um, I can vote uh, for sure when I get to cast an actual vote to, to maybe get someone who I disagree with out of office and help to put someone that I might be more in line with in. Yes, I've got these proper channels. Um, but don't confuse that with um, if something happens that I disagree with, now I can just go out and pretend like that person doesn't have any authority or pretend like I have zero responsibility uh, in the way that I talk to or about that individual. Okay? All right. Verse 7 and 8. Let God handle the future. Since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what is to come? As no one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the time of their death. As no one is discharged in time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. Okay? In Hebrew, the word for wind and spirit are the same. How might you understand... How might your understanding of verse 8 change if you use the word spirit instead of wind? <laughs> That's the question I'm asking you. Okay. Yeah. So it's a restatement. We talked about Hebrew parallelism where it says it once and then restates it. Uh, if we understand this to be my spirit, like my soul, um, then you're kind of restating what, what is coming next, right? No one has power over the time of their death. I can't contain my spirit. It's going to come when it wants to, and it's going to go um, apart from my control. Okay? Ben, I think you were onto something with your capital S remark. Since there's no capital letters in Hebrew, we've already established that. This could then mean the Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit of God, uh, which would remain true, right? As no one has power over the spirit to contain it, so no one has power over the time of their death. This could be a, a way of stating that the Holy Spirit, that God, is the one who has ordained um, all of these things. Certainly would be in line with, um, what, with what's being stated here. So you really, I think, have three options. One would be the literal wind that, that blows through the, the leaves and the trees. One would be my spirit. Um, to be consistent with what's coming next, and the other would be the Spirit of God, um, which leaves us in a, in a place where it still is saying that God is the one that's in control. Okay? What should we make of anyone who attempts to tell the future? There are always predictions about when Judgment Day is going to be, or... Go have your palm read or the tarot cards, and they can tell you uh, what the future is going to be. Astrology claims to have a stake on knowing what your future will be. And for 1995, you can find out. Nancy. 
if only God knows, it'd be foolish of us to go someplace else, right? King Saul learned that in a dramatic way uh, in his interactions with the witch of Endor. Um, we, can, we can say the same thing. If only, if only God knows, then we can be content to leave what God tells us about our future, like his promises of blessing, like we know where we're going to be in the future. God's word tells us about our future. Uh, but specific questions um, God, God's word doesn't answer. We need to leave those in God's hands. Okay? Here's Isaiah 47. Um, what did God say about this in Isaiah 47? All the counsel you have received has only worn you out. Let your astrologers come forward, those stargazers who make predictions month by month. Let them save you from what is coming upon you. Surely they are like stubble. The fire will burn them up. They cannot even save themselves from the power of the flame. These are, these are not coals for warmth. This is not a fire to sit by. So, this is all evil and, and deceptive and lies. Don't warm yourself by the intrigue of what the future might hold. Uh, the astrologers, the stargazers, um, those who practice magic arts, they don't know. Um, so flee from them. Okay? 9 verse, 7, th- verse 9 through verse 17, when government fails... All this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. There is a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. Then too I saw the wicked buried, those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This too is meaningless. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better for those who fear God, who are reverent before him. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve, and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. So I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the labor that is done on earth, people getting no sleep day or night, then I saw that God... Then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. Okay? So two quick questions there. How do citizens react when they see their leaders are religious? And what is the result when leaders take fake religious or pious lives. Trish? I think it's a 
Okay? So when there's a confusion of the two kingdoms, um, that usually ends up in a pretty bad place, right? When I look to a political leader for things that only my savior can provide, right? When I stake my hope um, or my allegiance or when I feel like my future is wholly dependent on who the president is or, or what the laws look like, um, that I'm confusing those kingdoms. So yeah, you're right. To, to look to your, your political leaders and to like require or demand that they be uh, a Christian or, or someone who um, has the same style of belief as you, um, it's kind of a two-edged sword. They probably are gonna have the same political opinions as you if they're driven in the same way and that can be a good thing um, but if you're saying, I need, I, need that, I need the president to be Wells Lutheran in order for me to be happy, um, now I'm confusing the two kingdoms, right? Now I'm looking for government to do things that government hasn't been called on to do and that doesn't have the ability to do. So to recognize what am I hoping for and looking for in, in these leaders. Um, certainly I want my... my my representatives to be moral people. I want them to be decent human beings, right? Um, that is a good thing. Um, and th that might be something that I would look to and, and laud or praise. But um, what happens when they're, sh when they're shown to be inconsistent or when they're shown to be um, hypocritical in those things? Verse 10 says, Then too I saw the wicked buried, those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this, this too is meaningless. So a politician that goes through the motions and, and lives a, a fake Christianity or, or a hollow religious existence uh, is a, a meaningless thing, Solomon says. Um, I've seen them buried. Another way of him saying it, it all comes to an end and it's found out and just like everyone else, um, the gig is up at some point. All right, what is the result of a government that is slow or lax with wrongdoers? I thought that was an interesting observation that Solomon makes. Verse 11, when the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Bob. Okay. Yeah. There was a, when we lived in Alaska, there was legislation that was passed. It was basically a prison reform. Um, prisons were overcrowded and we, they were trying to figure out what do we do with this. And the idea that was passed into law for years was that we'll just tick every sentence down the notch one. So your lowest level felony is now your highest level misdemeanor. Um, and everything just got, so fewer, fewer people will go to prison, right? Uh, that was the thinking behind it. Uh, I had a friend who was a police officer, and he said criminals would, would say to him, they, they'd be arrested, and he would say, could you just give me my ticket so I can go? They knew that they weren't going to prison. They knew that they weren't going to be fined, uh, or, or it wasn't going to be very steep. So even when they were, were caught in the act, even when they were busted, they, they understood. 
this is, they, they were playing the game and this was worth it. <laughs> it's worth it to live this way because I know the punishments aren't going to be very severe. Um, crime went up in Anchorage during, during that, uh, that bill, if, if that's a shock to you. Uh, <laughs> it's Solomon's words being lived out. Dave. Okay, yeah, same thing, right? Uh, when, when they're slow to enforce or, uh, you know, you get the parking ticket, which means nothing. I'm just going to go ahead and park wherever. Yeah, behavior gets bolder and bolder and worse and worse until, uh, I mean, none of us here wants the government to crack down or, or become authoritarian, but uh, I think enforcing the rules so that people will follow the rules uh, is something that definitely makes our city safer. Please. Yeah, and technology now gives us the ability to have um, some evidence that, that maybe wasn't considered. And, and that's a discussion probably to have at a different time, right? What's the best way to handle um, these cases? Sure. Interesting. Yeah, that was a sad story. I have heard about that. Okay. Um, cite some examples from history, biblical, church, or secular, of verse 14 coming true. So, verse 14 says, There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve, or the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. Can you come up with some tangible examples of, of those words coming true? Please. Jesus dying on the cross is the greatest example, right? Uh, the righteous getting what the wicked deserve. Now no one else is going to answer. Because <laughs> you came up with the best one right away. Please. Okay. Yeah, the wickedness of those pagan nations and they prosper and then God's people are, are uh, left to, to struggle and suffer all the while with God with his plans in mind but certainly from our perspective it, it appears that way. Okay. Yeah, you don't have to look very long or hard into our culture to see this happening, right? Uh, the people that have 
no morals uh, end up getting spotlighted and, and held up and put on a pedestal and, uh, and people that are God-fearing citizens who are trying to live their life the right way and trying to raise their families to do the same, they end up getting persecuted and ridiculed in, in a public forum, right? Okay. All the while recognizing what, what has been an, an undertone of this book the whole time that when it's under the sun, when it's got no connection to, uh, to the spiritual, those things become meaningless. Um, but we can endure that persecution or that hardship. It, it's okay for us to be treated um, like the wicked uh, because we know that, we've got, that God has something greater in store for us. Paul talks about the present sufferings not even being worth comparing to the glory that's in store. How can verse 15 come true in your life? Yeah? <laughs> you got to retire in order for that to happen. Okay? John? Literally, going off to Okay. Yeah. To live your life to be able to enjoy some of these things. Um, that's, now, if, if you're living solely for them, if that's the whole reason you exist, so that you can can squander your wealth on things that make your life comfortable, well, then you're not using the gift of money that God has given you properly. Uh, but certainly God is telling us about the ability and the, how good it is to be able to enjoy life. Um, remember, we're talking under the sun, earthly things. If you can't enjoy the life that you're living in, <laughs> um, then you're not going to find many joys here on earth. Um, so, God gives us those blessings and encourages us to do just that. Encourages us to use them for our enjoyment and our good. Okay? Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Life is in God's hands. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so it is with the, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go, eat your food, and with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart for God has already approved what you do always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun all your meaningless days for this is your lot in life and in toilsome labor under the sun 
Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is neither working nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong. Nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a, stare, in a snare, so people, people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Okay, I want to jump forward to that second question there. Unpack the proverb in verse 4. Even a live dog is better than a dead lion. That'd be a great, uh, like, poster, inspirational poster for your wall, right? <laughs> it's from the Bible. Trish, what's up? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Better than uh, all, all might and power if it's got no life in it. It's all worthless and pointless. Better to be meager and, and humble and alive than to be boastful and, and prideful and strong and dead, right? Okay. What should we do with our meaningless days, according to verse 9, taken in the wider section, 7 through 10? What does Solomon mean by all this? kind of interesting. He's talking about the joys of life and, and all of these. He lists off all of these cultural things that are uh, that were kind of synonymous with living the good life. Um, and then he calls the, that life meaningless. All the meaningless days of your life. What, what's he getting at? Please. Okay. Yeah, kind of like you said uh, in the prior section. Go and enjoy your life um, because even the joys are, are meaningless. Even, even the, the, the nice things that happen uh, in this world don't have an eternal significance. Go, go and en- enjoy that life. Otherwise, your life will really be meaningless. <laughs> it, it's meaningless if it's not connected to God to begin with um, and how utterly meaningless if if you don't even take the, the time to enjoy the nice things that God has for us to enjoy in the world. He's talking, remember, Solomon's talking under the sun. Um, of course, he desires it, and he goes on then here that wisdom is better than folly. We're not going to have a chance to read um, those verses, but to have this spiritual wisdom, to be able to connect what happens in this world to something bigger, to be able to recognize that everything that I have to enjoy is a gift from God, something that I can use for enjoyment here on earth, but it's temporary, it's earthly. What really matters is the spiritual wealth and the spiritual blessings that he gives me in Jesus. Um, Solomon knew life without, those, without that understanding and wisdom, and then God granted him the ability to have that faith and wisdom as he looks back on all of it. So, live your life, enjoy your life, Solomon says, uh, but always remember... Um, that 
having a connection to Jesus is the most important. All right. We will do our closing song. Stanzas one and five of our hymn, Before the Lord We Bow. Before the Lord we bow, the God who reigns above and rules the world below in boundless power and love. Our thanks we bring in joy and praise. Our hearts we raise to heaven's high King. And when in power he comes, oh, may our native land from all its rending tombs send forth a glorious band, a countless throng, and joyful sing to heaven's high king salvation's song. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for a good discussion. Uh, we'll wrap up our study next week. Time well spent, chapters 10, 11, and 12. God be with you till we meet again.